Hi, I'm your host, Brittany Spence, and this is In the Face of Illness. We are a podcast committed to cultivating a greater understanding of the many resources available for families facing childhood illness, because we believe this is a vital topic of conversation, not only for families in the throes of the fight, but for everyone. Ultimately, we are here to offer hope in the face of illness. Lawrence and Callie Hammond joyfully welcomed their son, Jack, into the world in June of 2020 after years of infertility in a high-risk pregnancy, including a month of hospital bed rest. Born at just two pounds, Jack endured a long NICU stay, and he eventually came home with continued required medical support. As a pediatric specialist herself, Callie learned all about being on the other side of medicine, which taught her a whole new side of empathy, understanding, and hope that she applies daily to her own patients in her practice. We're honored to have Lawrence and Callie with us today to share their story of Jack, and um, thanks for being here. Of course. We're glad to contribute. Uh, we always love having um, two parents come in as well because we're very aware that um the story you each have to tell is very different. Um, you know, your perspective, your way you looked at it. And I think you take into account that you have a medical background mm-hmm. that changes things even more. Um, it does. David and I were in the same boat. And I truly felt like that um, a lot of times the doctors were truly speaking almost another language to right. me. You know, that these acronyms they would say and the way they would say things. And then you start adding in grades, you know, grade one, grade two, mm-hmm. grade three. And you're like, I don't know what that means. Um, and and so when you already feel like this is so much and then they add in. But at the same time, it was a real um, gift to me that David could explain things to me of. You know, for us, it was words like ECMO and, you know, groupie strep and all these big words that I'd never heard of, um, you know, that he could, um, in essence, put it in layman's terms, right. you know, like ECMO really is just a heart-lung bypass machine, you know, versus whatever it actually stands for. Um, so let's just get started. Y'all telling me a little bit about y'all's story and your background. Um, and I know it starts kind of farther back. Mm-hmm. So if you don't mind sharing with us a little bit about y'all's journey to even get to Jack. Yeah. So I want to start a little bit further back there um, because I feel like our medical journey did start earlier for me and then together for us a little bit later on. I um, sounds silly, but I grew, I grew up across the street from my pediatrician. And ever since then, I grew up saying I wanted to be a pedi- pediatrician, which I did eventually do and then went on to further specialized training. So I feel like my medical background began a long time ago, um, whereas for the two of us, you know, it started more so whenever we started going through the process of infertility and then eventually leading to a hospital bed rest, which we'll talk more about, and then eventually a a baby in the NICU for a long time. So I feel like that gives us a little bit of a different perspective, kind of like you were saying, having one part of the couple that um, maybe knows a little bit more, which can be a blessing and a curse. Um, But then you know, that leads into where our medical journey started together back several years ago when we 
you know, as a pediatrician, I'm taking care of kids all day, every day. And then when we decided we wanted to have our own, it wasn't quite as easy as we'd hoped. Right. So, you know, we tried for some time to have children or have kids and we weren't successful. So we ended up going the IVF route and we were very fortunate that it worked the first time. The first transfer. Right. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what to expect, you know, just thought it was going with the flow, so to speak. You know, there'd be doctor's appointments, all that stuff that I'd go. And like that was said, kind of our normal. We thought that yeah, kind of that was what it took to make a baby. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they the normal doctor's appointments, you know, they like you said, they'd be talking in acronyms and I'd just be grinning and nodding. And then one time. And this is 2019. Towards the end of it, 2019 here. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, 2019 here. And this is when like COVID really yeah. started happening. Yeah. So. You know, there was, as I guess, you know, the pregnancy went along, you know, there was less, you know, I couldn't go to the doctor's appointment, you know, because of the regulations and all that stuff. Okay. And I remember she went to one appointment and they said her blood pressure was high and then we had to go to the hospital. And so we went to the hospital and, you know, normal hospital visit. You're there for about six hours. You're seen for about 15 minutes and then you leave. <laughs> and and that was maybe like 20 Three weeks or something. Okay. A little bit before what we would think of as normal viability. So you're now into kind of April of 2020, like literally mm -hmm. the like yes. key what in the world's happening in the yes. world. Like he couldn't, they, thankfully our OB office allowed him to come in for ultrasounds. Yeah. They have okay. like this special back door for dads. Right. Yeah. Um, and he could come in at least for the ultrasound. Okay. And I guess... They weren't doing a whole lot of talking at that last ultrasound. Um, when well, they... you know, we so Callie went to the, the uh, you know, the hospital because of her blood pressure. We got discharged. There was a follow up appointment, uh, you know, a couple weeks later. And I remember I get a phone call from Callie and she's like, I got to go back to the ER. They said it's my blood pressure. And, you know, me not, you know, being ignorant to the fact, thought it was just like, oh, you know, I'm going to have to go waste my afternoon now sitting in the, you know, sitting in the ER. So we went and, you know, she got admitted that night. Never left. And mm. So you you're know, now like 26 weeks. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, I, you know, didn't know what, what was going on, you know. What to expect. You know, we, you know, every day she would have to get like a couple scans done and uh, this, uh, what type of doctor's BK? The high risk, yeah. So he would come. Okay. Uh, so and, he was still very involved. Mm -hmm. And did he did he stay involved? Because I know he wasn't obviously your fertility doctor, right? So once you once you got pregnant and got to a good place, they mm -hmm. kind of back off. Yes. You then go to your OBGYN, yes. your normal OBGYN. Yes. And then really, you don't get the high risk involved until. Your Until blood pressure started, started to be concerning. Mm -hmm. Okay. So he then, so really you had three, I mean, yes, same, some, same specialty here, but really you had three totally different doctors. Yes. Sometimes with three different opinions. Yes. Right. With Jack. I mean, just, yes. just through and this. And he's still in my belly at this point. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So BK gets involved mm -hmm. and your blood pressure obviously cannot come down. Oh, no, it, yeah. was, it was bad. Well, we, at the beginning, we were told, oh, you know, it'll be a couple more days in here. You know, you're going to have to probably just take it easy at the house, you know, all that stuff. And a week went by. And then that's when I started realizing, OK, this is a bit different. Uh, you know, we're in obviously our own room, but, you know, there's 
in that pod, there was three or four others. And within that week time frame, it was like a revolving door for all those other patient rooms. Yeah. And you're still staying. Right. We're still so, there. You know, <laughs> thankfully, I guess. She, yeah. You know, Callie's. And are you allowed to even leave the room? I mean, you're talking about. I'm the only person that's able to come to the hospital to visit her. And then, but I mean, is it like you're locked in the room? You mm-hmm. can't even go around the hospital? I got to go out in a wheelchair downstairs into the basement one time, and that was like... A big deal. That right. was so much fun. And then once I got to walk around the corner uh, because they needed to change a light bulb in my room, and wow. my nurse, they couldn't find a wheelchair, and they were like, you can just walk. It's just around the corner. And I was like, hot diggity dog. Wow. I am taking a vacation. Yeah. So, you know... <laughs> There's only only so much TV and you can watch a day and, you know, reading you can do. So I brought a, you know, little pop-up table. Callie had puzzles. She had paintings, you name it, all this (laughs) stuff to keep her busy. Wow. You know. And are you still trying to work? uh, Mm -hmm. I I am, but, you know, my priority is my family, if you know what I mean. And, you know, I'm very fortunate that other people still, you know, took my responsibility over. So I was able to, you know, focus on, you know. Cali, but you know, I I used work at that time just to you know give me a break. If yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we were kind of getting frustrated. We're like, oh well, let's have Jack just to get this um oh you know done with so we can get going and all that. And day thirty, I'm <laughs> downtown at a walkthrough for a project. Completely and downtown and like I was on the river, way out in Germantown. Okay, in the hospital and. Uh, <laughs> I get that phone call from Callie, and I knew at that point that I had to head to Germantown. And I drove the fastest I've ever d- driven from. <laughs> because they're like, it's he's coming. This I, is it. I think all I said was, you need to get here. Okay. And I think that was enough. You know, and about at this time, too, you know, when you enter the hospital, you got to get your uh, temperature checked, all that. And, you know, the front, the front desk ladies knew me my first name at that point. And they saw me running across the parking lot, so they had my stuff ready for me. <laughs> wow. I remember going up to the fourth floor because that's where she was. And they're like, we already took her down. And I was just like, oh, my God. And uh, <laughs> and is this all because of the blood pressure? Jack's fine. So um, it was because of Jack. So okay. they were doing okay. scans on me every day, looking at his movement, his tone, his practice breathing and some, and his fluid levels. Okay. And his fluid levels had been a problem. And I knew when the ultrasound tech was scanning me that morning because I'd been there for a month and. I was getting that at least once, if not twice a day. And I could tell enough that I could see the baby wasn't moving. And because we didn't know if he was a boy or a girl at that point. And the ultrasound tech looked at me and she said, well, what's your husband doing today? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's go time. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Here comes the baby. So really, this was concern for Jack. Yes. Okay. It was more for him. Okay. And could they tell then that he was pretty small yes they knew he was going to be small there were already concerns about you know blood flow to him and his like i said his fluid level so they knew he was going to be small but i think it's hard um i think it was hard for them to predict you know even if you have a small baby to a certain number of weeks some babies do a lot better than others so it was hard for them to say what exactly the prognosis or the outcome could be at that point we were very very reassured that we had made it as far as we did to 30 weeks at that point which you know with in my head I was thinking that was a great place to be um were you getting steroid shots yes 
did they try to even, I mean, I guess if, if he's not doing well, it doesn't matter to slow down because you actually yes, were not in active labor. I was labor. not in labor. Okay. And every day they were asking me, do you feel good movement? And I'm like, I've never been pregnant before. This is my first pregnancy. Yeah. Like, what's good movement? Yeah. And looking back on it, I think at 30 weeks, I probably should have felt a baby fluttering in my tummy constantly. And I didn't, okay. which was probably... Um, you know, another warning sign, but I didn't yeah. know any differently. It was my first pregnancy. So But he was also very little. I mean, you know little. what I mean? So there's a there's a mm-hmm. part two that I mean, I think about my first. I mean, I, I didn't know either mm-hmm. and it it took me a long time. I feel like I mean, I remember even being in that twenty twenty week ultrasound and um anatomy one and he you know, we didn't know if force was a boy or girl either, but mm-hmm. he was flipping all around and I was like what? Like, and you can't feel it. I, uh, that's yeah. what that is. You know, I mean, literally, I was like, oh. Yeah. Then each baby after that, I was like. You could recognize it. Oh, I thought that was indigestion. Or <laughs> I thought that was like, you know, a tickle. I didn't realize. So, but really, two pounds mm-hmm. at 30 weeks is really a, a typical earlier. Do yes. you know what I mean? And yes. so to me, it's not that. You know, I just don't want you in any way to be like, oh, I should have, I should have known. Yeah. You know, there's there are too many things. I mean, like you said, first pregnancy, he was little. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's harder. If we were just thankful he was in there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you weren't even as active. You know, right. I mean, it wasn't like you were up. You know, moving all around or drinking caffeine, doing the exactly. things that sometimes that can make the baby. You know, that's very true. Go yeah. a little bit more. Um, you know, all around. So, okay, so 30 weeks, you're flying to get there. She's already downstairs. You're like, it's go time. Mm -hmm. No other family can come in. Nope. You are June of COVID. Mm -hmm. So it's literally just you two. Yep. Okay, do you make it down? I do. Okay. (laughs) And, uh, you know, one thing I will say how we just touched on we're the only people in there, you know, able to visit Cali is that from my perspective, you know, when I would be outside of the hospital, everyone wanted to know how Callie was, you know, and you need a break sometimes from yeah. this stuff. And, you know, you you want to be polite, but, you know, also you need your own space. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, you know, it's always constantly in your mind with that. But, yeah, so back to it, you know, they you do, get a, they, I get there, they do a C-section. Again, I have no clue what to expect. Yeah. Uh, you know, they pull them out and tiny but you know i've never been around babies so i knew he was small but not you know how you know so so small if that makes sense and uh you know we we noticed he's a boy jack (laughs) yeah uh, you know i remember holding them there's still a picture they weigh him and it's you know 2.1 wow they take him up to the NICU, and, you know, at that point— Did he cry? Like, did yeah. he show signs that he's okay? He did. I remember hearing a cry initially. Yeah, she asked. She's like, she's, is he crying? Okay. Um, and it was—I mean, it was there. It was weak. And okay. Th- when he was they, breathing on his own? He was. They took him out of the OR. I think he was on CPAP, but it was shortly thereafter that— he got the breathing tube and was on the vent. So he needed—pretty quickly. Pretty quickly, okay. yes. Okay. So, you know, at that point, they take him upstairs and, you know, I'm just there to make sure Callie's all right, you know, and they, you know, again, I had no clue what to expect. You know, they told us that Callie's going to be on magnesium mm-hmm. and that the side effects are oh, magnesium. Because of the 
blood pressure so high. Yes, yeah, okay. that was a whole. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And yeah. Then she's not going to be. I've heard nightmares of oh, that. Girl, yeah. I could tell you some yeah. stories. Yeah. The I've hallucinations, like the. Wow, it was not fun. So you know, after a bit, I decided to go upstairs and see Jack. And you know, it's like Fort Knox. Get in there. You got to get buzzed in and all yeah. that. They let me in. You know, I do the wash up, the gown. And then a nurse jumps in. It's like, uh, we can't let you see Jack right now. And I'm like, okay, why? And I don't know if they told me then or if they told me a little bit later, but they, I guess he coded and they were giving him chest compressions and they didn't want me to see it. Okay. And, uh, then the, I don't know how quickly after, but then the NICU doctor, Came to speak to me, and I straight up told her, I was like, listen, my wife's a pediatrician. She knows she wanted to be a neonatologist. You know, she knows what's, what's going on. I don't. I was like, I don't want to be the one relaying this message. Can you come down and tell it to, t- her. T- 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 to her straight? And, uh, and she did. She, she did. No, yeah. She was wonderful. And she is one. I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. She yes. is so wonderful. I'm not going to mention her name yeah. here in case yeah. she doesn't want me to, but yeah. I have actually um, given a talk to some medical students and residents just talking about this experience of being on the other side mm-hmm. of things. And um, I don't think I've told her this, but ironically, when I look back, what I tell some of our trainees is that was actually one of the best I wouldn't say the best, but one of the better experiences that I had during Jack's whole experience and continuing on to this day was somebody that came in immediately after, talked to me straight. And I remember, like Lawrence said, I was on magnesium and I, I could I was seeing double of her and I was like, Callie, get it together. Like, you need to sound like educated and like you yeah. care and all these things in my head. I was just thinking these are all the things I need to, to do. And but the other side of me was like, she's also here telling me that my child just had to get chest compressions. And that's absolutely terrifying. Mm-hmm. But looking back on it, obviously, he made it through, which we'll talk about. Um, and sh- the way that she was very upfront with that and communicated with me on a level that I needed to hear, yeah. um, which she had to figure out on her own, that really was um, one of the better experiences that we had and you know just the the level of communication and also appropriate reassurance at the time was incredibly yeah helpful and still stands out yeah so he's in this NICU obviously Mm -hmm. struggling yeah um they get him stable Mm -hmm. at some point here yep with breathing tubes all that stuff how long are you on magnesium 24 hours okay Okay. and then as soon as that 24 hours Like, I remember looking at the clock, and a lot of times the clock had, like, six hands instead of two. (laughs) But I remember looking at it, and I think it was, like, 3.15 or something was the the time that they were supposed to take out the magnesium IV, and I was supposed to go upstairs. And I was looking at that clock. And as soon as it hit that, I hit my buzzer, and I was like, take this IV out of me. Like, I'm going upstairs. And they did, and they, you know, they do all the things and I think it, by that time it was around shift change and they tried to push it off. And I was like, uh-uh, no, yeah. ma'am. Like, get me in a wheelchair. I'm going down to see my baby right now. Yeah. And that was the best moment. Okay. So you, so did you end up getting to see him? I did after, mm-hmm. but, you know, I had no clue what to expect. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Did anybody kind of take you aside and even say, you know, because obviously you're up there and being like, I don't know what this is. Did anybody kind of take you aside and say, this is what all this means? They did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, as one of the nurses, yeah. Know, but to what Callie was saying, you know, after we spoke to the neonatologist and 
Callie was comfortable, I was comfortable, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. And, uh, you know, again, I didn't know what to expect. And at that point, I remember we were FaceTiming mm-hmm. from, you know, Callie's on you know, the first floor, we're up on the fourth floor. Mm-hmm. You know, you just got all these, you know, alarms going off, all yeah. that stuff. And, yeah. you know, he's wearing the sunglasses with that light, yeah. you know. So, you know, it was, I was very overwhelmed. But, yeah. you know, I was yeah. just essentially putting a front up. You know, to make sure everything was, you know, seemed okay. Yeah. But, you know, I remember wheeling Callie up, like she says, the, you know, right after the 24 hours. And, you know, I think that night is when he got put on the ventilator. And, like, from my point of view, I think it was like the first week, you know, uh, he, he was fine. He was born fine in my mind. He had chest compressions, was put on like a... You know, I don't know what type high flow or what mm-hmm. he was on then, but then when he got put on the ventilator, I was like, uh oh. And yeah. then he got moved to the oscillator. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, I, you know, I'm learning all this stuff as it hits me in the yeah. face. Yeah. And, you know, but it was, you know, I didn't know what to expect because everything was, you know, each day it was something else. You... And this is still all at the birthing hospital. Yes. Okay. Okay. So he goes from ventilator, well, really. Half low CPAP ventilator oscillator. Mm-hmm. So you as a pediatrician, I mean, you definitely know. Yes. Like he's he's struggling. He's sick. Yeah. This is he's, sick. he's very sick. So what are y'all figuring out? Like, is it he's just little? Or are you starting are they starting to say we got something else going on here? I think I was starting to realize that I knew he was little, but you know, in my pediatrician mind, I'm always thinking, okay, preemies, you know, goal discharge date is their due date. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, still the goal that I had in my mind at the time. But I started realizing, wow, his lungs are a lot sicker than his age would speak for. Okay. Um, so they did, you know, they went from the ventilator to the oscillator. He got multiple, I think at least three, maybe four doses yeah, of surfactant, that. you know, to help his lungs work a little bit better. And it, he just wasn't responding. Um, and I Again, I remember kind of thinking I I was still in that medical mindset of what what am I supposed to do to help my child? And I was asking these questions about, you know, what other escalations of care do we need to do? And that's when I kind of realized I need I don't know as much as these professionals these neonatologists do and I need to step back and be in my role as his mom Mm -hmm. and let them do what they know how to do Mm -hmm. within their comfort level in this hospital and they did an amazing job yeah okay so are you seeing him get worse for a little bit yes okay yes and there were some other scares like um he has a, a rare blood type and needed some platelets, and his platelets had plummeted due to my preeclampsia and some other concerns that they had had, and they couldn't find any platelets for him. Wow. And so they had had to, um, again, his neonatologist came up with one of the other wonderful nurse practitioners, and they were like, we might have to give him some platelets that are infected with what we call CMV. Mm. Um, because, you know, for certain adult patients or other transfusion patients, they can handle that. But with tiny preemies, they try to avoid those yeah. positive platelets and um 
literally as they were having this conversation with me in my hospital room, they got a, a, a phone call from a place in St. Louis and they said, we've got CMV negative platelets that are wow. negative. We, we're sending them down, we're carrying them down there right now wow. for Jack. So okay. that was another cool moment. Okay. Okay. So he gets those. Mm-hmm. And how long are you, how long is he so fragile, kind of so sick? Ooh. Um, so he was on the ventilator for... 11 days initially. And so once so the oscillator ended up being just pretty quick or it was a couple of days. Okay. And then they went back. Something. And then oh I, mean, my I think gosh. people don't know. Ooh, I seeing mean, your baby jiggle like oh, that. I, I mean, <laughs> I've said, you know, ECMO was its old thing. And then you, then, then that oscillator, I mean, for people who don't know, I mean, I think it's about 80 beats a minute. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you see the whole bed baby. and child mm-hmm. baby shake and um you know and then you can't take your phone in there there's all these different things the noise and, of it too like, yes noisy and that machine looks like it's from like the 70s yes <laughs> it's crazy it really it is. is um is. so he's on you know and obviously they can't stay on that like an oscillator right. is not a long term mm-hmm. they cannot you it know. does not mimic the normal activity of the yes, lungs at all. Yes, yes. So the hope is always to, yeah, more quickly get them off that. So mm-hmm. stays on that a couple of days, goes to the ventilator. To the okay, bed, yes. so about 11 days. Yes, but I think on day 10, um, when one of our still favorite nurses from this hospital was let me hold him for the her- for mm. very first time. Okay. And he was still on the ventilator at that point. And so... I think I was stiff as a board, nervous as can be. And um, obviously, you've been discharged. I have been discharged. So y'all are kind of now. Yes, trying to I mean, navigate. I don't know. I can't remember. 2020, they had a place you can stay or they didn't? I don't know Luckily, enough. we were here in town. Okay. So we didn't have to... Um, Look into those opportunities. We were here in town, and we're about 15 minutes away from the hospital, which was a huge blessing. But if you needed to stay, can you stay in that NICU? Uh, yes. They like, would allow in parents a chair to yes. kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And those so cha- that's a, uh-huh. a chair is an exaggerated. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, <laughs> especially after you've just had a major C-section. <laughs> yeah. So y'all are really going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you've been discharged. Y'all are at home going back mm-hmm. and forth. You hold them I day ten, them, yes. which is something that is amazing, amazing, but hard because you got all these Very wires hard. and all these things. Very nerve wracking. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, and so starting to trend mm-hmm. a little more, a little more in the right direction. Um, so around that day ten or eleven, he got taken off the ventilator, and. In my mind, I was thinking, okay, this is going to be continued forward progress. We're going to see continued decreasing of his ventilator support. We're going to see continued decreasing of his oxygen needs. And over the next several weeks, we just didn't see that happen. The numbers, and for whatever reason, the number that I focused on in in my head was the requirement of oxygen that he was getting. And it was always around 50%. And they couldn't get it down. And that was just one of the... Things that I would always focus on, and I don't know why, but every day I would go in and see that it was, you know, maybe it was 48, and I would be encouraged, and then it would go right back up. And um, so we weren't seeing that progression over those next several weeks, because at that point, he was, you know, a 33 or 34-weeker baby that I would have expected or thought to see decreasing support needs um, and kind of progressing in that forward direction, and he wasn't. He kind of went 
the opposite way. And is he, you know, he's obviously still very small. Mm -hmm. Are they treating him more like 20s? Yes. You know, are they in the way of trying to mimic the womb, the quiet, very little, you know, um, noise and all that stuff? Okay. So they are. I mean, Mm -hmm. so he is, quote unquote, 33, 34 but really, because of his size and what all had gone on, they're really, he's more in the 20s of yes. the way that, that he's being treated. Mm-hmm. Okay. We got to do like our hands-on, you know, every three hours with his diaper change and feed change. But other than that, it was kind of like. He's in that right. incubator. Yeah. Don't touch. Yeah. If you touch, you know, do that firm hold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. Okay. Where I know, yeah, typically on a, on a, Yeah. If you've been born real little and then you're in, you're getting into that 33, 34, you're starting to see more of an open crib yes. and maybe they're able to, maybe they have the warmer on them, but really where he really is showing you, he is not ready he for that. He was not ready. Okay. He was still needing to be in that womb environment. Yeah. Okay. Another sure. thing though, not only was it his lungs, but you know, obviously he was very little, so he needed to gain weight, yeah. but his body was working so hard to breathe that he was burning all these calories. Okay. So his weight gain wasn't ideal okay and then also he uh he was puking a lot like oh okay a lot a lot uh okay i think it's called what gastric emptying issues okay Uh, so he really wasn't taking his feeds well Mm -hmm. okay so not only was it its lungs but he needed to you know actually mature and get bigger okay so you know me not knowing everything but you know don't was when I'd walk in there in the morning the next day, you know, I want to know if he gained weight, you know, looked at his O2, you know, rating, all that type of stuff. So, it, you know, it wasn't perfect. You know, you'd one step forward, two steps back, yes. so to speak, yeah. for a while. Yes. Uh, but as time got on or went on, you know, other specialists started coming in and, you know, they were putting all the pieces together of what. What all, what all needed to happen for him to get out of there. Okay. Mm-hmm. So tell me about that. You're still mm-hmm. in Germantown. Yep. You're still at the birthing hospital. Yes. People are starting to come in. So the yes. neonatologist is obviously saying, we got to get some other things in here. Yes. we got to figure out and what's going on. There were some very... He's not just a feed and grow. Exactly. He's not going to go home at his due date. Yep. Um, he's we're, he's going to need some extra interventions okay. that are not offered at our hospital. Yeah. And as much as we loved loved all of the staff there from the front desk people to the front desk people at the NICU to the nurses to the neonate like everybody the nurse practitioners once it got to the point where we were realizing he's outgrowing this facility I was like okay let's go we got to move yeah we got to move and there were some very scary conversations about some interventions that he might possibly need um that also just kind of set our minds in the trajectory of like we okay we got to move on he's yeah. outgrown this place let's go to the next step yeah. and let's okay. go ahead and and make these things okay. start to move yeah so what week is he at now how many weeks have you been in the NICU when you like moved October. he got moved um it was it's like september it, yeah it was around his due date okay so around okay. maybe a little bit before um, so we're almost to 10 weeks Mm-hmm. In the NICU. Yes. And obviously a month before you'd been on bed rest. Yes. Hospital bed rest. Yes. So he's transferred. 
Mm-hmm. Downtown to Lamar. Okay, yep. and so tell me about that. Go straight from NICU to NICU. Ooh, man. Well, that was the first time that he'd ever even been outside, and he wasn't even really outside. You know, he's in this mm-hmm. isolate, and they thankfully they had told me that I wasn't allowed to ride in the ambulance with him. And that may not sound like a big deal to some parents, but that was to me that was his first transportation. I put him in his little transportation outfit, his little transportation onesie, um, and that was a big deal to me to be able to ride in the ambulance with him. Um, And that was his first car ride. And we, it was in the middle of the night, um, but they took him downtown to Le Bonheur. And, you know, at that hour, you go through the ER before you go in. And, you know, I remember all these people in the ER, he's in this little isolate, and they're like, oh, what a cute little baby. You know, he's going up to the NICU. And I'm like, Yes, he has a cute little baby. Like, let's, you know, yeah. let's keep yeah. moving. Yeah. Um, so we get up, and he was not happy. Okay. Um, you know, and it took a while of adjusting, not only for him with a new routine, new nurses, new environment, new providers, but also for us being at a completely different hospital mm-hmm. and adjusting to their routine and their mm-hmm. norms. Um, and we kind of knew that that was going to be expected, and that was another reason that we wanted to kind of go ahead and make that transition for happen as soon as that we knew that it was going to need to happen just to allow for that transition and then get things moving to get him on the road to being home. That was our biggest goal. Yeah. So pretty quickly, mm-hmm. do you know, tell me about that. Because when you're in a NICU, you know, you're neonatologist down there, really mm-hmm. the primary care. Yep. But then from there, you know, they're the ones that are saying, we think Blank, blank, blank specialty yes. needs to come. Yes. So, you know, are they involving you in those discussions? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so, as parents, but even as someone that understands medical? Absolutely. Okay. They were. So, so, you know, they sat us down. They kind of told, they, you know, sat us down and said, you know, he needs other support that we can't do at this hospital. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking, what does that mean? And then they, you know, then they list like, oh, there's a possibility. They're like, he needs a surgery. He needs to get this done, this done, this done, and this done, and we can't do it here. Okay. And there, there's a possibility you might have to go, uh, you know, on this, blah, 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 blah. And then... So you knew that before even y'all left. Right. Yes. Okay. So okay. we were like, well, let's not waste any time. Let's just yeah. get this thing done. But okay. that's not a priority medical transport. So right. we were just like, they're like, oh, it might happen today. You know, we'd have everything packed up and, you know, it wouldn't happen. So... You know, another thing that meaning that others are sicker yes, and they're having to go immediate, which is so hard as a parent because you're like, take my baby. Right. But then obviously you're also breathing a sigh of relief like he's not the sickest. Like he's not having to be immediately rushed. That is exactly how I felt. Yeah. Okay. So they take him down. You're in obviously a place that you understand well. Mm -hmm. Um, And so. Does surgery come right away? Um, not right away. I would say it took. They told us that they want to like understand Jack prior to. Yeah. They're like, we don't want to cut into babies. Yeah, you know, we want to understand them. And what are they concerned about? What What is it that they're telling you at the other it's hospital? Like a the Nissan. I don't even know how to pronounce Nissan. it. Correct. Surgery. So because he, he okay, yeah, keeps so much. Yeah, okay. he's got a hernia. Um, and then they the want to whole... do a biopsy of his lungs while they have them open. Okay. Um. There's a lot of general surgery here mm-hmm. that you're talking to. And like, is he going to need a trach? Yeah, is he going to need a trach? Okay. You know, because his lungs are just not showing no. that they can do it on their own. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, okay. 
you know, we had a couple weeks go by or maybe even a week or so, you know, we learned, they learned Jack, we learned the routines over there. But one thing though, is that, you know, at Germantown, they told us they're like, it's a very different atmosphere there. They're Mm -hmm. like, the care isn't going to change, but it's just very different. You know, Mm -hmm. there are going to be some very sick babies. And I remember walking in there and I had like all these coolers of breast milk around me as I'm walking through that door and, you know, and on the fourth floor or third floor of Lebanon or whichever fourth, it was, fourth, uh, yeah. the babies are all up at the front of the room. And I see this poor baby he had a trach sitting there. And I'm just like, what did we sign up for? When he had his first birthday balloons. We yeah. And then his neighbor balloons. had, you know, I'm just like, geez. And, uh, you know, so I was like, okay, this is completely different. And yeah. it's literally like two or three in the morning and they have a new patient that they're trying to, you know, do all what do they need to do with them. And I'm just like, these people's attitude is terrible. I was like, this is my son. Yeah. You know, what are they doing? Blah, 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 blah. But, you know, as a week or so goes by, you know, there's a doctor there that I think is a saint, you yeah. know, and, you know, they they did wonderful things. And so they got him, yeah. they got him to where they and wanted then, him so to be. They were going to play. We're starting to plan the surgery. And, yeah. Uh, but at that time, Cal and I get COVID. Oh, no. <laughs> Yes. So okay. <laughs> our number one thing is someone needs to be there for Jack. Yeah. You know, the poor kid, you know, can't be there for was. And thankfully they did. His surgery was supposed to be that week that we were quarantined and they delayed it, um, which was hard because it's also like you feel like you're delaying the inevitable. Mm-hmm. But also you don't want your kid up there getting surgery when you can't even be there. And um, literally like the day. Well. My mother-in-law was very, very fortunate. We were, she was a, got approved to be a visitor. Okay. So she came into town and, you know, she was there with Jack for the time while we were quarantined at the house. Okay. So, you know, we get out of quarantine and they're like, okay, let's get this surgery scheduled again. Callie stays there the night or the night before mm-hmm. the surgery. And uh, I remember going there like five or six in the morning, you know, before it all starts. He's and, back on the ventilator. Yeah, he's back on the ventilator, you know, because they put him, you know, knocked yeah. him out. And there, I, I have this picture. I stood in the corner and took like an, you know, angle of it. And there was 14 doctors in that room wow. for that surgery he was about to have. Yeah. It was like the most expensive, you know, procedure. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You see the bill later. <laughs> you're like, yes. whoa. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, that was you know, I could, I cannot explain how I felt at that time. Oh, yeah, it was very overwhelming. And then they had the surgery, came back up, and, you know, poor thing had a, you know, it was like black and blue from them sticking them everywhere. Mm. And, you know. And he's still like three pounds. What are we he at right now? probably five pounds. Okay. I think they didn't want to do his operation until he was over five pounds. So I think he was at least five pounds. Okay. Okay. By then. Um, and my, they did the Nissen the G-tube, hernia, hernia repair, G-tube. DLB, putting the scope down and looking at his airways and circumcision. All so, at the same time. Yes, and they okay. call it like the NICU special. Yeah. And, you know, I like he was talking about that picture, I feel like, um, you know, on it, 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 my perspective has changed over the last several years. I looked at that picture again several months ago and thought, Wow, this is just an everyday for all of these surgeons. They do this on these babies every day, and it's no big deal for them to be in this huge team and coming in here and talking to these parents. Um, But then I looked back at it, and I realized one thing that really stood out to me is that every single one of those surgeons and nurses and everybody in the room was looking at our baby. Mm -hmm. And that was... 
Yeah. Uh, you know, it's pretty you, powerful. Yeah. You know, you'd be down in the hall, you know, the hallway or down in the cafeteria, you know, they knew who you were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They'd come say, hello, how's Jack? You know, all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, knowing that. And it, you know, knowing that he was in great hands. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's a, a, a big thing for you is mm-hmm. what you do. David, um, every time he gets new residents. Yes. He always sits down with them and says, hey. For you, it's just another day at the office. Yes, that's you know, so for true. you, it's just another ACL or yeah. it's a, you know, fibia fix or whatever it is. And he said, for but for this parent, it's the worst mm. day of their lives. Absolutely, that's and so, so true. You need to remember that that mm-hmm. this is the worst day of their lives. But for you, and and really, the parents, we want it to not be the worst right. day of your life as a resident. Absolutely. You know, we don't want it to be the first time you've ever operated on anybody. We want it to be where it really is this, I've done hundreds of these. Mm-hmm. I've fixed hundreds of these. You know, that's what you want. I mean, Absolutely. I say that even people will ask me something about, are you a perfectionist? I'm like, I'm not at all. <laughs> but my husband is. And as a surgeon, you want he him to, to be, be a perfectionist. Yes. As his wife, it's sometimes a little hard. But as a surgeon, yes. But as a surgeon, like you want him to be, you know, where he, he's a certain way. Um, but I think even as you in the medical profession mm-hmm. to know, you know, that you're seeing so many of the patients with the same things, diagnosis, prognosis, whatever's going on with their needs. Um, But for a parent, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible. And that's one thing we say, um, even my middle son has a hard time with expressing sometimes his sadness or his feelings because he'll say, well, that other person has a right to be sadder than me. You know, Mm -hmm. like they're... um, sister passed away so they're gonna I'm like hey buddy it doesn't negate that you are sad too though and as a parent you know if their kid has really bad allergies that are debilitating to them Mm. versus a kid on ECMO it's still a big deal it can be the worst day in that parent's life yes and Mm -hmm. so you can't then say well they have it worse or whatever else I think there's a a point where you have to have some perspective and know and and know that um, I think that's why it's important to let your children see that there are people hurting worse and have things harder especially our beautiful teenagers like you know, you think you have it bad. Let me show you some things that are worse. Yes. But um, just that feeling. So how did those surgeries go? Tell me, like, did we start moving forward on that? Yes. The surgeries went very very well. Um, he did way better than they thought that he was going to do during the procedures. And he was able to come off the vent in a timely manner afterwards. And then after that, it was really just he required some um, steroids, continued steroids, for to help his lungs. So what um, did his lungs show? So he came he was eventually diagnosed with something called PIG, okay. which ironically were big Razorback fans. Yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> got it. And so um that is called pulmonary interstitial glycogenosis, which okay. is basically a lung disease of the interstitium or the you know the smaller parts of the lungs that they told us eventually he would outgrow, which was very reassuring. Yeah. Okay. But also he had 
had the complications of the preemie lung disease on top of that. And so he was not able to be weaned off oxygen before he left the hospital. He did go home on supplemental oxygen, which he continued for a year and a half. But did not need Um, a trach. Did not need a trach. Did not need ventilator. Did not need a ventilator. Did he need oxygen 24-7? Yes. Okay, so not. did he need even a little more at night, or was it pretty stable the whole way? It was pretty stable. Okay. Um, And I... Honestly, um, I became really close with a lot of his providers, especially his pulmonary providers. Mm -hmm. And his respiratory status was very tenuous when he left the hospital. He was still breathing about 80 times a minute, Mm -hmm. which would be admission criteria for a lot of babies. And thankfully, um, yes, thankfully, he was, quote unquote, stable enough that I had to kind of flip back to my other medical side and be able to take care of that part of him at home. Yeah. Um, but I don't. And I'm sure that was a huge reassurance to your medical providers oh, sure. that they knew, mm-hmm. like, average Joe, no yes. way baby would have gone home mm-hmm. on that kind of breathing rate. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he would have gone home for months. Yeah. It's still his weight gain. So that surgery, Nissen surgery, didn't really work that well. Mm. So he's getting all this oxygen put into him. He's got a you know full He's got a feeding tube, and, you know, so there's he'd be expanding, yeah. you know, with air and food. So it had to come out somewhere, and, yeah. you know, so. Came out the top. Yeah. Mm. And like, Which is awful to watch oh with Nissan babies because it's, like, yes. horrendous. So it's, painful yeah. to watch. Because for those listening, Nissan, in essence, is tying off an air mm-hmm. that where they're not physically supposed to be able to throw up. Mm-hmm. So then when they do it is it comes out yeah it's yes. rough yeah yeah it's, it's rough to see nissen babies throw up um yeah. because yeah. it's not really supposed to be happening mm-hmm. anatomically uh, what am i thinking anatomical anatomically like their body's not supposed to and so it's this like very aggressive yes um tough physical thing yes well, um, we, we grew accustomed to it yeah we did and, uh, <laughs> yeah and he probably did too i mean it's just, yeah, just all he knew vomit so was a part of our lives so he comes home with g2 he comes yes. home with oxygen yes. praise the lord after 142 so, days that's what i was gonna say how long 142, 142 days. days okay um which i you know what so at this point you're you're right up there at the holidays Right. Yes, this is right before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay. Um, but I do want to make a note about that 142 days. It was, I feel like people tend to kind of cling to that number. Mm-hmm. And maybe this was just me, but I felt like people would use it as a comparison. Mm-hmm. And I that 142 days was excruciating for us. Yeah. But somebody else that could have been in the NICU for five days yeah. could have had the same excruciating pain. Other parents that have been in the hospital for over a year have experienced the same excruciating yeah. pain. So yeah. I try, th- we are proud of that milestone and that was the hardest 142 days we've ever been through. Um, but at the same time, I try not to use that number as a comparison mm-hmm. or, you know, um, just to... To say, oh, my journey was this long or my journey was yeah. this short or this long. Yeah. Um, yeah. Everybody's, I think, is different. Yeah. And that was a, a very hard time for us. But we acknowledge that we were lucky that it was 142 yeah. days. Yeah. Um, some people spend a lot longer. And like I said, some people spend a lot shorter. Yeah. And there's no way that it's easier or harder. Yeah for anybody over the other, depending on how long you're there, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. We had Forrest was 55, and then Mm -hmm. our next son, just a year later, was seven, Mm -hmm. back at the birthing hospital. Mm -hmm. 
And as y'all said, very different experience. The birthing hospital back then was very similar to Lebonner's PICU, that it was Mm -hmm. a wide open space. You had nowhere really private, you know, couldn't stay there, whatever else. And it was really hard. I mean, I had had the perspective of how sick Forrest had Mm -hmm. been and all of the things that went into that. And so I knew even when they took our second son into the NICU because he was struggling to breathe Mm -hmm. and they all panicked, Mm -hmm. truly, because they all remembered it was the the same birthing hospital that Forrest had been in, same NICU, same Mm -hmm. everybody. They all really panicked of like, does this baby also have group B strep? And I just kept being like, let me see my baby. Let me see my baby. And I, they let me go down. I looked at him and I knew he wasn't the same as Forrest. Mm-hmm. I don't know why he was struggling to breathe, but I knew he was instinct. Your but it was still instinct. awful because mm-hmm. I was determined that I would be there every time he needed to be fed because I, you know, had been so different a year before. And mm-hmm. so every I mean, David and I on average slept about an hour and a half, mm-hmm. you know, and then we'd wake up. We stayed at his parents, which was five minutes away. We'd drive to the hospital. I'd nurse him mm-hmm. once they let me nurse him, once they knew that he wasn't aspirating and stuff. Right. I'd nurse him. I'd we He was so little, we kept having to keep him awake. We'd have to do all this work mm-hmm. to keep him awake. And yeah. then I would hand him to David as David, you know, burped him, changed him, did all that. And it took him so long to feed because he was exhausted, tired, little. You know, we'd finally get him back to sleep. We'd drive home and then we'd, we'd literally have about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And, and so, do it all over again. you know, where with Forrest, we knew he had, the, and, and he had, Austin had exceptional care in this NICU, too. But with Forrest, he had this exceptional care that when we did go home, we really could kind of Mm -hmm. sleep for a little bit. I woke up to pump, but there wasn't this. And so, as you said, it was an exhausting seven days. Exhausting, Mm -hmm. even though it was very different. Mm -hmm. Um, So I love that perspective, too. Okay, so y'all tell us about now. He comes home. You obviously have to learn how to be mom and dad to still a medically fragile baby. Are there, are, is there any, obviously G-tube oxygen, we have things that we're moving towards. I imagine he had some different, um, Therapies they wanted to do. So all that is is beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, Balancing that, balancing his feeds. Is he on continuous feeds? Is he more on? He was at night. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So you can talk a little about learning about how to deal with. You know, they send, you know, the day before he left, I get his car seat and they're like, we need to make sure he can pass. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, They're like, here's his, you know, here's all the stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so there's, we set it up in our living room and uh, for like the first couple of months, like we just took turns sleeping on the couch, you know, just, you'd just be staring at his monitor to make sure he, you know, didn't pinch a cord and, you know, this alarm would be. like his bed, Mm -hmm. you mean, was right there in your living room. His pack and play. His pack and play. So him in the pack and play. All Y'all his equipment, there, yeah. and then all of his equipment, mm-hmm. and it's just you two. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. we, uh, you know, my mother in law would visit f- for a few days, yeah. and then we but had no medical. I mean, you no nursing, no at home. Okay, okay. We, did, we ended up getting home health nurse who is wonderful. Okay, yes. and, game that changer. Took a, that took a couple months. Okay, you know, with the nurse shortage, you know, I remember being on the phone with the insurance provider, being like. We need something. I was like, we can't live like this. Yeah, you know? needed help. Okay, uh, okay. You know, plus and this is holidays. This is COVID. Yes. 
Um, obviously, you're also winter, so you're scared mm-hmm. to death about any kind of sicknesses, oh, yes. RSV diseases yes. coming in. So you didn't you're obviously... get to go see family at yeah, Christmas. We were, but, yeah, you know, and then also we got, you know, work. Yeah, <laughs> outside yeah. of this, you know, Callie's fortunate; she took about a year off. Okay, okay. Which, by the grace of God, I had the most gracious team and boss that allowed me to do that okay. and still come back to my job, which I'm incredibly grateful okay. for. Okay. I, I could not have gone back to work in the normal maternity leave time frame yeah. um, in the state that he was in. I would have been a mess. Yeah. Um, so that was a huge blessing, too. Okay. So really, you two with some help from family. Mm-hmm. And then what made y'all, like, what, what part was like, we got to have more help? We were told we would get help. Okay. With, you know, like when you were leaving. Right. Okay. And we never got it. And I think just after being, you know, very persistent. Because of his oxygen needs and feeding Mm -hmm. needs. Yes. Okay. Okay. They would send nurses over, you know, I think we went through like probably two or three before we found the one. Okay. That we Mm -hmm. really liked, you know, and she really liked Jack or, you know, too. You know, it worked out well. And how many hours were you given? We initially started with 40, I believe. Okay. so and really just days or nights? So we initially thought it was going to be nights. Okay. And then we finally got nights kind of worked out. And then it took so long that by the time we got coverage, we used it for days because I was going back to work. Okay. Okay. Um, and that was an absolute godsend. Yeah. And they, okay. um, his home health nurse that has been with him for a long time was really great with him and dealing with his g-tube and his oxygen and okay. thankfully like i said he was able to come off his oxygen around 18 months okay um he will be three on friday wow um which is a huge milestone he's still he very did get admitted twice though yeah okay. we did have two short admissions okay. um unfortunately but he is very still much so g-tube dependent okay. um most of his feet try food at all or does he, he have an oral aversion um we have made a long way from oral aversion okay. he okay. used to vomit anytime anything would touch his tongue yeah and so he started speech therapy around maybe eight months of age and okay. he has made a huge progression okay. with the Laboner outpatient speech therapy um and he's now cleared to try and drink and eat anything okay. he just doesn't have much of the drive because yeah. he's never had to yeah um so we're very much still dealing with the g-tube but at this point you know from where we started at the very beginning to just be dealing with a g-tube you know we can handle that yeah we can handle that and do you still have that home health nurse she goes with him to daycare which is huge okay amazing um okay and helps him with his g-tube there okay um so that he's able to interact with other kids yeah he's able to sit at the table and try and eat with them yeah um he has this cute little backpack that we can put his g-tube bag and his pump in okay and he can go interact with the other kids and go play with Penny the guinea pig and yeah. every, everybody else just like, um, you know, and he doesn't know any difference, yeah. um, which is amazing. And is he still in other therapies as well? Just speech. Okay. Um, so he thankfully has tested out of OT and PT, okay. um, which is amazing to see. Yeah. And he's made great progress. Um, but we very much so definitely need the speech therapy. And okay. um, he's, still, he's definitely making progress. It's just very slow progress. It's frustrating trying to get a, a toddler to eat. Yes. I mean, well, and in all honesty, it's frustrating regardless. regardless. I mean, you know, like there's a 
you have two things against you. One, yeah. he's a toddler. He's a toddler. And they are stubborn. I mean, I'm like, for me. what's harder? A a teenage teenager yeah. who's got their hard-headedness is how things are supposed to be, or a toddler. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like they both, you can't get either to do what you mm-hmm. want them to do the way you want them to do it. It's um, on their own schedule. Yeah, yeah. But the beauty, I've told so many families when they've really struggled with whether to get a G-tube or not, I'm like, the beauty is mm-hmm. he's getting what he needs. Absolutely. And then you can just play. I yes. mean, in the way of like, let's try Jello. Yes. Let's try pudding. Yes. If you have one bite, let's celebrate Yes. The jello and the pudding. But we're not sweating bullets like he's not getting enough. He's not getting what he needs. And getting meds down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's really been a blessing for that. Or if he's sick and he's we feel like he's getting dehydrated, yeah. you know, we can still hydrate him. Yeah. So I mean the G tube definitely is a blessing and a curse. Um is it now just with meal times and then continuous at night? Mm-hmm. Okay. He gets three feeds during the day and okay. continuous at okay. night. Okay. I've got mm-hmm. a really cool so my kids um went to a um uh, a program where half of the kids were typical and half of the kids had, cool. you know, special needs of some sort. And um, and it it was a wide arrangement of the needs. And um, my youngest daughter came home one day and she was they they started going at 18 months and they went through one went through four, one went through at three and a half, somewhere around that range before they started school. And um, I remember one day my daughter came home and was like, I fed so-and-so. And And I was like, what? In my head, I was like, so-and-so has a G-tube. Like, (laughs) what? And I, so I like literally was like, what did she give her? You know, like, what does she mean? Did she like give her something? And so anyways, the next day that I took her in, I asked the teacher, I was like, what does she mean? And she like, should she literally means that she holds the bag bag. Mm -hmm. for her Mm -hmm. and She's with her as she's being fed, mm-hmm. you know, because same, they put the it's, little girl I mean, there. She's eating. Yes. They put the well, they and they would put the little girl in the little seat next to her. Mm-hmm. And the little girl would would try things like a veggie stick or whatever. But Maggie wanted to feed her. Mm-hmm. And so Maggie would hold the bag and watch as it went in. Yes. And they're like, she wanted to be a part of that. And the little girl just would look at her. You know, I mean, it just was mm-hmm. this beautiful um you know, thing. And and for my kids, by going to that program, and I remember one day one of my boys was like, I played with so-and-so. And I remember like, okay, he's non-mobile, non-verbal in a wheelchair. Like, how are we playing? How did you play? And so talking, and it was just a beautiful thing of, you know, them seeing not all kids, you know, there are different things with different kids, but even how that program mm-hmm. really handled that um, was beautiful as well. So mm-hmm. anyways, just a, a, you know, I always love thinking back on that. Um, and I see this little girl often at the baseball fields with her mm-hmm. brothers, then I immediately will think back on, um, you know, Maggie, Maggie feeding being her like, I with fed so and so. Yeah. Well, okay. So Jack is almost three. Almost three. Doing well. Doing well. Making strides. Yes. We are so grateful. And how, you know, y'all have obviously been through a lot. And mm-hmm. there's a real thing to PTSD mm-hmm. um, and dealing with, you know, I feel like so. what's so hard often with our NICU families is that when a 
family goes home with a baby who still has so many medical needs, you do not have time to process what you just went through. You don't have time to process the 142 days. Mm -hmm. It is survival mode to make sure he lives and thrives and does well. So, you know, you still have medical needs. You know, Mm -hmm. you're not he's not. Where you hope he is today, but right. where he started to today is amazing. Huge. How are y'all today? How are y'all three years later processing what he's gone through, y'all have gone through? I to be honest, I didn't deal with that stuff in a healthy way. And it all of a sudden hit me in the face, I'd say about close to about 18 months ago. But I started, you know, I got help at that point. And, you know, kind of changed, you know, my perspective on life, you know, a big thing for me was, you know, I've always, you know, this is probably personal, but I'll say it, but is that, you know, I've always been goal orientated and I've always been able to achieve what I wanted to achieve, you know, work hard, get, you know, you achieve it with, you know, with Jack having, you know, having a kid and getting Jack to where he is now hasn't been, you know, I couldn't do stuff to get to mm-hmm. to a point. So learning how to completely change my, you know, view on life, you know, actually celebrate, you know, be grateful it's for what I have, mm-hmm. be grateful for what we went through. Don't compare what we've been through, mm-hmm. what, you know, me personally, what to other people, you know, value the time that you have, value the help that you have with like your family. Like my brother really helped me out. Like, you know, I owe him the world and, uh, you know, I've got some friends that have really helped me out and, yeah. you know, a couple you of them. You can't did, do it alone. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just. And that requires, though, you being vulnerable yeah. and real and open to say, I can't do this alone. Mm-hmm. We're really struggling, whether it's emotionally, financially, physically, whatever it is. To say, I need help. People don't know that. Unless you let them know, unless you let them in to see that. And so obviously with work, you had to say, I can't keep a business up and running, make sure Callie's okay, make sure Jack's okay. I need help there. Or I need help to say I need a whole year. Mm -hmm. Because I think you obviously to, to, you know, I I got one of you at home. I know how (laughs) much it takes (laughs) to get to that point and how Mm -hmm. much you strive and put in to get to that point. So it had to take a lot for you to say, I'm going to take a year. Ooh, yes, it did. You know, I've done all and this. And it was very nerve-wracking, to too. To get to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and you are, both of you, in a performance-based job. Mm-hmm. Like, construction, you know, I mean, I always talk to David about why he chose surgery over other things. He was like, because we things. fix things yeah. and we see outcomes. I can't do things where you just wait and see, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to wait and see. I, I don't. I don't do things where it's like, well, you know, let's just wait and see if that rash goes away. I want that rash to go away. You know? That's what I do. Yes, I know. And he's like, I can't do that. So, but, you know, you you are in things where you both fix things mm-hmm. and you couldn't fix Jack. No. And that is. It's a hard pill to swallow. That is a hard pill to swallow where I don't have. I mean, I like for things to go well, but I did not have. I more was just. I'll just sit here all day with him and and see where David would pace and David would walk. And David David needed to go back to work because he couldn't sit there all day and not fix his kid. Um, 
And it's still, almost 16 years later, it is still his hardest pill to swallow, is that I went to be a doctor, to heal people, Mm -hmm. to make people better. And the one I wanted to heal and make better is the one I couldn't. And it obviously, David did everything right. There was nothing more David could do. That's his own thing he has to to deal with. And he has. I'm not in any way saying he's not. But it is hard. It's very hard. It's hard to know everything that you could do. And so much of it, in all honesty, is now on, it's also on Jack. Mm-hmm. Jack's got to figure out that he wants to eat. I know. What he wants to eat, what he wants to do. It's on um, his time frame. In modern medicine. And medicine, too. I mean, anytime I would say to David, like, oh, praying for a miracle, he would even say, hey, babe, ECMO? It's a miracle because mm-hmm. someone was smart enough to invent ECMO. Someone was smart so enough cool. to to be a neonatologist, to be the brain surgeon, whatever it may be. Like, we didn't get the miracle we wanted, but we had the miracle of 55 days with him, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think so much of it is changing your framework and your mind to say, okay, this is not, when we started this whole this whole trajectory of, we're going to do all this to get a baby. Mm-hmm. This is not what you envisioned. Oh, no, not at all. You know, I mean, your journey, but it is your journey mm-hmm. and there's a reason. And so we're so thankful that you shared Jack with us mm-hmm. and shared your story. I think your story is is powerful and, um, you know, it's it's got a lot of weaving in and out right. of different yeah. things. I think we could have done a whole podcast on just the Getting to Jack. Oh, yeah. Um, and then a podcast on Jack and Beyond, you know, from <laughs> June 2020 until today. Um, but we just appreciate y'all sharing and, um, you know, giving us um, a little more about him and your family. Um, thank you for what you do in the thank hospital you. to serve families and um, love on them. And I think what you said in the bio of, you know, you... There was a reason that Mm -hmm. y'all went through it, and it's made you a better doctor. Absolutely, it has. And that empathy, understanding, and hope that you're able to offer others. You know, David often says, like when he walks into a room and sees someone rocking in the rocking chair, he'll say, I rocked in that rocking Mm -hmm. chair as my kid suffered. And so I'll never fully understand what you're going through because everybody's story is different. But I can empathize. Absolutely. The empathy that comes from it is... That others wow. cannot. No. Yeah. And you you can't understand it until you've been through some sort of it. But once you've been through some sort of it, it changes you and it changes your life. And no matter what um, profession you're in, for me in the medical field, it has completely changed the way that I see yeah. and treat my patients and their families. Yeah, and absolutely. As crazy as it is to say I'm grateful for that perspective, Yeah. Um, I don't wish it upon any other family. It's very difficult yeah. to go through, but just realize that you're not alone. Yeah. Um, a lot of other families have been through not your exact journey, but have understood the struggle in some sort of way. So reach out, reach out to your yeah. um, your friends, your nurses, your providers, your charities for a spence, yeah. um, all of the things. Reach out. There are lots of helpful resources there, and you're going through this for a reason, and yeah. the ending is going to happen for a reason. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, be mindful of that and be grateful for it. Yeah. And it's okay to say, 
I need help. It is okay to say I need help. And to continue to say I need help, you know, to not have that feeling, you know, where you 18 months, you know, I tell Mm -hmm. people that um, I went to therapy right away and then I felt like I was doing okay. And we started having more children and life became crazy. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to step away. And for some reason, there was something really hard for me on year eight. Mm -hmm. Um, And it threw me because I was like, what in the world? Like, I, by that point, I had three more healthy children and the fund was growing and my marriage was survived. And, you know, and it really threw me that. Um, and what I realized with that is I was then starting to see my other boys who were only mm-hmm. one year younger and two and a half years younger than Forrest. Mm-hmm. They were starting to become their own people. And I could no longer put Forrest in the box that I thought he had belonged in of, right. well, he probably would have liked trucks or he probably would have, you know, when they were little, it's like, OK, he probably would have rolled over this time and he probably would have sat up and he probably would have. And all of a sudden, when I started to see my other boys' personalities come alive and I saw how different those boys were, that all of a sudden it became, I don't know what he'd be like. Mm-hmm. And it killed me. And that was okay. And I realized I needed help again. I needed to to grieve what I was missing now um, of not knowing what he would be like. Right. And so, um, you know, it was okay to ask for help and to continue. There's mm-hmm. been lots of times that I've been like, "Ooh, I'm not doing so well, you know, whatever that looks like. So thank you all for sharing your story. Thank, thank you. you for being on, spending time with us, and thank you for what you all do. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. We hope that this podcast is a resource for you and a source of support. Whether you are facing illness in your own family or want to walk beside other families dealing with childhood illness, we want the stories, wisdom, and knowledge shared to give you hope. Episodes will be released bi-weekly, so be sure to subscribe today.